Hello, I'm Marit Smeyman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today we're focusing on the impact of trauma and chronic stress on the body. My guest is Helene Loebscher, clinical psychologist from Durbanville. Welcome, Helene. Thank you. Please note that this podcast is intended for adult listeners. Rape is mentioned but not discussed in detail. And after our conversation, Helene will give us her three best tips on traveling. After that, it's fun question time. Helene, mental health implies being able to cope with the normal stresses of life. And since our world has been turned upside down by the COVID pandemic, normal stresses are more intense than they used to be. Do many of your patients come to you with trauma and chronic stress? Yes, indeed. In the past, stress was already the number one issue of our modern times. And South Africa had the second highest stress levels in the world. And during the past two years, living with a worldwide pandemic, on top of previous stresses, life became even more stressful for all of us. It was like everybody had to start running a mental marathon that nobody was prepared for. And nobody knows how long this marathon is still going to last, and where the final finishing line is, and when the marathon will end. We are only human beings that are getting increasingly tired and exhausted. So yes, chronic stress, trauma and mental health issues are becoming now the second pandemic of our time. According to statistics, there was a 60% increase of mental health issues in South Africa in the past year and antidepressants and tranquilizers are both under the top 10 most prescribed drugs. So those of us who feel, like you said, as if there's a second pandemic, we're not out of line. Definitely not. How would you define chronic stress? Let's first look at stress. Um, it is a feeling of emotional or physical tension. It can come from any event or thought that makes you feel frustrated, angry or nervous. So any experience that requires changes in your normal coping mechanisms. So stress is your body's reaction to a challenge or demand. There are two main types of stress, acute stress and chronic stress. Acute stress is little stresses that we experience on a daily basis, but it's short-term. Chronic stress is more severe, and that can build up when you are exposed to a stressful situation over a longer period of time. So now there's a consistent sense of feeling pressured and overwhelmed, um, like long-term financial or relationship problems. And right now with COVID, everybody on planet Earth is experiencing chronic stress. Eliane, how would you define trauma? Well, it depends on um, the perspective you're looking from. In the medical world, trauma refers to any physical injury caused by heat or energy or chemicals or, or any other agent. But for psychologists, or let's say from a psychological point of view, emotionally, trauma um, is any perceived extreme negative event that is experienced or witnessed by a person as threatening and overwhelming. So responses like intense fear and helplessness are part of it, and the event causes a lasting impact on the victim's mental and emotional stability. So simply put, from an emotional point of view, it's a shocking or stressful experience that occurs in a state of helplessness. From the body's point of view, so physiologically, new research, research shows that trauma not only affects the mind, but the body as well. 
So trauma from the body's perspective is when a body fails to defend itself against a threat. And the physical instinctive survival response or fight, flight, freeze is unsuccessfully used. So body systems like your nervous system and stress hormones that were activated to help you with the threat are unable to calm down and the body can't get back to its normal balance and functioning. So fight, flight, freeze reactions that could not be discharged from the body is now stuck in the body in the form of neurological or chemical reactions. And that is trauma from the body's perspective. Can you tell us where trauma comes from? There's different um, origins, causes. Um, for example, emotional trauma that most people think of as trauma. And that includes losses, um, death of a beloved person or emotional and verbal abuse. It can also come from social trauma. That's group rejection that happens often with teenagers. Interpersonal trauma like divorce or bullying. Um, physical trauma. And, and most people underestimate the emotional impact or physical and medical trauma. So physical trauma includes where the body experiences trauma like a motor vehicle accident, um, falls, um, attacks, near drowning. And medical traumas can include operations, pain, chronic illnesses or traumatic birth. The last um, type of trauma, that's the most serious trauma, is childhood trauma, or we also call it developmental trauma. Um, childhood abuse, abandonment or loss of a parent or substance abuse in the family, severe marriage conflict and divorce are all part of, of this trauma. So it's trauma that happens in the family um, itself. And the important difference here between childhood trauma and other traumas is that other traumas are more like an incident, it's short term. While childhood trauma is more like a continuous situation throughout the child's life. Um, and that's a very vulnerable stage in a, a person's life and where the child is dependent and helpless to control the circumstances. So most complex trauma to work with is childhood trauma and it needs long-term therapy usually. Yes, now I understand for the first time why people often work with their childhood when they come for therapy. Yes, that's right. Because you say it's intense and it goes on for a long, long time. Long time, yes. Yeah. Now, I know that as a therapist, you follow a holistic and multidimensional approach. How do you approach your patients? Well, knowing there is increased evidence that trauma is a multi-level experience affecting us on physical, emotional, mental, behavioral, spiritual and energetic levels. Um, I first do a very thorough evaluation of the presenting problems symptoms and stresses. Um, symptoms also, for example, on a physical level. So people can maybe complain about headaches or tension in their shoulders or back. And then afterwards, we complete a life history questionnaire that includes previous emotional and physical traumas, childhood experiences, family and other relationships, what happens to their school or um, work, and also their biological background. When I have the bigger picture, um, I have a basic understanding of the complex interaction between all these levels. Because you have to understand the psychodynamics here um, to set up a basic treatment plan to address the issues on multi-levels, including on the body level. Um, then uh, I do psychoeducation about the effect of trauma and this whole holistic mind-body continuum. Could you just explain what you mean by psychoeducation? 
Um, what I'm busy doing right now is part of psychoeducation. So people understand better, specifically because we work with body trauma as well and the effect of trauma on the body. People don't always realize that some of these symptoms can come from or can be present in the body and can come from body traumas as well. Um, so we need to explain that most people think they come to psychologists usually just to do some talk therapy and that's not enough. So, um, so I explained to them that trauma can never be fully healed until the essential role played by the body is not also addressed. So then we follow integrative use of different therapies to address the mind-body interaction. So that can include typical cognitive and behavioral therapies that works more with the conscious mind, where we're changing thoughts and behavior and logic. So this is all more traditional talk therapy. But also includes psychotherapies that works more with the body and store traumas in the subconscious mind from the past and therapies that can also address um, on an energetic level. So due to the inherent complexity of trauma, no one method works for everyone. So what works best is a toolbox of methods that the therapist can apply to help a traumatized person to resolve their trauma. So my approach is integrative and holistic drawing on various modalities and focusing on different levels to best suit the client's particular needs and issues. So it would be right to say that you work with thoughts and you work with behavior and you work with the body? And emotions. Yes. And emotions. Yeah, you can yeah. say that, yes. Yeah. Now today we're focusing on the body, which as you said, many people don't realize can form part of psychological therapy. How does trauma affect the body? Okay, they did a lot of research um, to follow the pathway of trauma from the brain in the body. So first, when there is a threat or a danger, your senses are the first in the body that detect this danger and then send messages to your um, back brain, or let's call it your reptile brain. It's a very primitive brain. It's on, on top of your brainstem um, at the back of your head. And this brain, like reptiles, cannot feel or think. It operates on a subconscious level. And the language of this brain is sensations in the body. So its primary function is to ensure your survival. And this brain is therefore responsible for the physical and instinctive fight-flight-freeze reactions in the body. Um, another part of the, of the brain, the limbic system, that's primarily responsible for registering and processing primary emotions like anger, fear, and helplessness that's associated with the fight-flight-freeze response for later processing. If the trauma is not later processed, the unresolved trauma memories are stored in this limbic system and any triggers or associations linked to the original trauma can reactivate the defensive fight-flight-freeze response, and that includes emotions. So uh, a part of the limbic system, what we call the amygdala, it's a small little structure in the brain, can work like a faulty alarm. And hijacking the logical part of your brain, meaning anything that um, the amygdala associates with a previous stored trauma can trigger the alarm to go off. It is as if the amygdala goes in overdrive and cannot distinguish between the present and the past. So this is how flashbacks, emotional and body reactions of people with post-traumatic stress disorder can be triggered long after the original trauma really occurred. The functions of this part of the brain are not operating on a conscious level and is therefore part of the subconscious mind. So that's why it does not work 
or help to tell somebody just to forget about past traumas. You can't just forget it. Um, it's in the, it's right into the brain, and as explained now later in the bo- in the body as well. It's also important to note that the logical brain, let's call it the thinking brain, is in control when we have to make conscious decisions and therefore controls voluntary body reactions and movements as well. If we had to rely only on the thinking brain to protect us during danger, we would never survive. The thinking conscious brain, we can also refer to this part as the cortex, reacts too slowly during a threat. The conscious mind, here's a very good comparison. The conscious mind is able to process plus minus 50 bits of information per second. And the subconscious mind can process plus minus 11 million bits of information per second. So you can see there's really a big difference. Only after the threat has passed will your cognitive part or logical brain actively try to analyze what's happening. So the first instinctive reaction is coming from um, the subconscious part of the brain. So if I understand correctly, then if you've experienced trauma and it hasn't been integrated, as you say, then something maybe that reminds you of that trauma can trigger that response yes. again. Yes. And you yes. can't control that. You can't control that. That just happens. That's why, no, that's why we're talking about the false alarm. No, you can't. The logical mind can't um, change that. Can you explain the fight-flight-freeze response in more detail? All animals, including humans, show this instinctive, immediate and subconscious survival process and defensive reactions to a life threat. If I explain a little bit more what happens in the brain as well, how the brain communicates with the body, there are two ways in which the brain communicates with the body during trauma. Also remember that the body always communicates back with the brain. So this two-way communication happens by sending electrical messages via your nervous system and then also by sending chemical messages via your endocrine or hormonal system. And both these systems activate your adrenal glands to secrete stress hormones like adrenaline, noradrenaline and cortisol. That's your well-known stress hormones, which a traumatized person uses for the survival of fight and flight. Now, the fight and flight response, first look at, at this part, and then we'll like to talk about the freeze response. Mm-hmm. The flight and fight response speeds up most reactions in the body and in the nervous system. Um, we call it the autonomic nervous system because it happens automatically. And this autonomic nervous system consists out of two parts, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system works like the accelerator of the body speeding up certain functions in the body. So this is part of the fight-flight response. So now breathing becomes faster, um, heartbeat faster, you pump more blood to your muscles, your blood pressure thus increases, um, more glucose is released from your liver into the blood, you get more energy, so you can run faster. Your adrenal glands, so already said, secretes more adrenaline. <clears throat> the muscles are contracting, so the person can speed up even faster to run away or to become stronger to fight better. The other defense mechanism when fight and flight have failed or is not available or a fight-flight response could not be completed, it's blocked in some other way, the freeze or immobility response kicks in. A perceived feeling of helplessness and a sense of no control usually accompanies this. 
So the, the person will prepare for death or the organism by also secreting more chemicals like endorphins and opiates to diminish pain. So that's really now in a severe situation. But this part of the nervous system that's responsible for the freeze response, the parasympathetic nervous system, works like the brakes of the body. So now your heartbeat slows down, your blood pressure decreases, your breathing is very slow, the mind can become numb and dissociated, your memory becomes impaired, and your muscles become flaccid because the body becomes immobile. So it's similar to a car now that comes to a standstill, but the engine is still running, yet it's not using the energy to move forward. And um, 88% of victims of childhood abuse and 75% of victims of adult sexual abuse experience this freeze response or paralysis during the abuse. That is why sometimes children or women won't actively defend themselves against rape and sexual abuse because the body is instinctively protecting the best it can um, by staying in the freeze response. And this freeze response um, is physiologically and psychologically a state with a tremendous amount of energy and activation underlying it, behind it. And this energy that would normally be used and discharged through fleeing or fighting is now trapped in the body. And when this energy is not fully dis discharged, it does not simply go away or disappear. Instead, it stays trapped, creating the potential for a lot of symptoms in the body. Only when the nervous system detects that the person and the environment are safe, all the function of the body can get back to a normal and balanced state. The problem, however, comes in when something went wrong, either in the brain processing and the nervous system, and although it is safe, still reacts as though there is danger and then gets stuck in the past in either the fight-flight response or the freeze response or even in both. Now, these fight-flight-freeze signals continue now after the danger is over and do not return to normal. So instead, the continued secretion of stress hormones is expressed now as certain symptoms. For example, panic <clears throat> or agitation, and in the long term, obviously, can wreak havoc with our health. So it seems to me that, that if you experience trauma, you cannot choose whether you will have the fight-flight or the freeze response? No, the subconscious mind and the primitive brain will choose that. Yeah, that chooses that. Yes, because as we already explained, the logical brain is too slow yes. um, to make that choice. Yes, but whichever way it's going, you may not get rid of all the energy that this, this has created. Yes. So you are going to be stuck with that energy in your body. Yes. And is that what you mean when you say that uh, an action is not completed? Yes, the body wanted maybe want to fight and flight and was halfway busy with it and then something blocks it. Um, so that's an incomplete fight flight response. Or you can go directly to the freeze response. So well, this is now my best survival. But with all of this, there's a lot of energy that's behind this um, because it's a survival response yes. in the end. Yes, and we may not know that we have this energy trapped in our body which is making us sick or creating yes, something yes, else? Yes. Okay. Can you tell us the long-term effects of trauma? The long-term effects, in other words, what we just yes. discussed. Yes. Um, I think you can understand now that, that after trauma, the world is experienced now with a different nervous system. So the body is now stuck on the accelerator or the brakes. If that happens long-term, 
the sensations of your fight, flight, freeze response become trapped in your nervous system. It's causing traumatic energy to be stored in the surrounding muscles, organs and connective tissue. And over a long period of activation, the adrenals can get overworked and that is also how adrenal fatigue can happen. So let's look at the different systems that can get stuck. So when the sympathetic nervous system gets stuck in the fight-flight response or the accelerator, symptoms like muscular tension, rapid breathing, increasing heart rate, high blood pressure, chronic pain, digestive problems, exaggerated startle response, um, hyperactivity, inability to sleep or relax, anxiety, anger outbursts, and racing thoughts can happen. And as part of this fight-flight response, we also secrete cortisol, and elevated and uh, more prolonged levels of cortisol have been shown with research to have neg negative effects on your brain and body. It can lead to impaired learning and memory, imbalanced blood sugar levels, decreased bone density, decreased libido, high blood pressure, increased abdominal fat because your body stores extra cortisol uh, uh, there, and also lowered immune and inflammatory responses. Now these two last two are very important because the moment you lower your immune system, you you um, vulnerable to any illness. The same with an inflammatory response. That's now the basis or the root of a lot of different illnesses. So cortisol can really cause a lot of problems in your in your body. When we look at the other system, the freeze response. So when the parasympathetic nervous system that's responsible more for the freeze response gets stuck or the brakes get stuck, the following symptoms can happen. Now there's a low muscle tone or low heart rate, shallow breathing, low blood pressure, chronic fatigue, poor digestion, and also then lower cortisol levels. And the lower cortisol levels, again, can lead to numbness or dissociation, excessive sleep, depression, bad memory, complex syndromes, and autoimmune disorders and chronic pain. So 60 to 80% of illnesses um, now estimated are directly or indirectly linked with stress and trauma. But it's a very complex interaction between your genes, traumas and environmental factors. So directly stress and trauma can affect the brain and your autonomic nervous system, your metabolic, endocrine, cardiovascular and immune systems that in, in that sense also increase your risk of illnesses and disease. Indirectly, stress and trauma can lead to behavioral problems. So people can start drinking more or smoking or eating um, more or struggling with their sleep because of stress and trauma. And that can also lead indirectly to the risk of illness or a high risk of illness and diseases. Yeah, so we're talking about trauma, which in a psychological sense, we would associate with a psychologist or another therapist to make it better. But... If you get the therapy, and this was one of the reasons why you got an illness, I know it's very complex, you could be hopeful that it might help with the illness, perhaps. Um, yes, we uh, will often hear that in the medical world, they will say stress can um, increase um, symptoms of illness. So even though we can't work directly with, with, with the cause, we can still help with that part help to make it better by working with the stress symptoms or the trauma symptoms. Yes, and I suppose you only, you only see towards the end of your therapy how much it has helped. Yes, yes. Yeah, so you can't predict really. Yeah, you can't predict. And it's always very interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Now we've talked about trauma. 
Could you explain how chronic stress affects the body? Well, stress and, and, and trauma are part of the same continuum. Um, chronic stress over time can, can have the same impact on the body as trauma because of the cumulative effect. Maybe I can explain here um, about or refer to the Adverse Childhood Experience Study. Very well-known study. Um, we call it in short the ACE study, if you want to look it up. It's the largest study of its kind ever done to examine the health and social effects of adverse childhood experiences over a lifespan. Now, this childhood adverse experiences refers to things like physical abuse, sexual emotional abuse in childhood, physical emotional neglect, or a mother that was treated violently, household substance abuse, and mental illness, parental separation or divorce. Now, this study shows an indisputable relationship between all these traumatic childhood experiences and adult health. The number of childhood experiences or adverse childhood experiences was strongly associated with adulthood high-risk health behaviors such as smoking, alcohol and drug abuse, severe obesity and correlated with ill health including depression, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, chronic lung disease and um, attempted suicides. And what they found in these studies, and it's really, really big studies, from the first um, large study, there was a lot of other that developed from, from this study, they found that adverse childhood experiences can alter the structural development of neural networks in the brain and then the biochemistry of your neuroendocrine system. So I just referred to your nervous system and to endocrine the hormonal system that can change by trauma. And this can have long-term effects on the body, including in speeding up the processes of disease and aging and compromising your immune system. Yeah, so trauma and chronic stress can really have a very big effect on your yes. physical health. Yes. And we are, we are developing a greater understanding of how that works. Yes, and there's more and more studies um, mm. coming out on mm. this as well. Mm. That's proving it. Yeah. Now, we'd like today to look at chronic pain. I know it's one of your interests, your fields of interest. Would you like to tell us more about chronic pain caused by trauma or stress? Okay, as already explained, um, the fight-flight-freeze response happens as part of an instinctive defense response. I think this is now understandable. So when chemicals like adrenaline are pumped into your muscles, it causes the muscle tone to change. So when a traumatized person gets stuck in the arousal phase of fight and flight, the muscles stay contracted and get overworked and inflamed over a period of time, and that can lead to pain. So uh, muscle spasms often, and really got a lot of complaints about back and neck spasms from uh, clients. Trauma can also affect the muscles due to cues that are associated with the original trauma. So muscles that were clenched for self-defense during a fight-or-flight situation will then repeat the clenching over and over again. And this contraction um, is then also hurting the muscles or cause pain in the muscles. Could you explain what those cues could be? Let's say, for example, um, for example, if a person were in a certain position when they experienced tra trauma, for example, somebody was raped, um, when they get into the similar position, the muscle will automatically then contract it again to try and defend themselves. So it's like a body memory that yes. happens. Thank you. Another way how trauma can play a role in chronic pain 
is when a specific part of your body experiences trauma, somatic dissociation or this freeze response can also occur. So that part of the body is shut down, restricting blood flow in that part. A muscle that doesn't receive enough blood and oxygen also goes into spasm and that can lead to inflammation and to pain. So both sides, the fight flight as well as the freeze response can cause then muscle issues and then chronic pain. Also remember that all of these freeze reactions of trauma and chronic contracted muscles in the body um, not only lead to different muscle symptoms, spasms, inflammation and pain, but the inflammation underlies a wide variety of psychological and pathological processes. For example, neck and shoulder or back pain where there is no medical or structural explanation for it. And besides your five primary senses that pick up danger from outside of your body, we also have three senses that pick up danger from the inside of the body. And if there's pain in the body, it's also a signal for the body to create a fight-flight-freeze response because it's also a sign of danger. So a vicious cycle can start. To sum it up, pain can create pain. And also remember that behind all these stuck fight-flight-freeze responses, there are intense emotions like fear, anger, hurt, sadness that go with this as well. So dealing with the physical pain on a psychosomatic level also means dealing with the suppressed emotional feelings and pain on a subconscious level. If you want to maybe read up more about this whole mind-body disorders and psychosomatic pain, you can read up about the work of Dr. John Sarna. So this is quite a mouthful where pain can come from and the effect mm. of stress and trauma on the body. Which therapies do you use to help the body? I think it's clear that talking about the trauma incident is not enough to heal the automatic neurological, physical and hormonal responses of bodies that happen during trauma. We need to integrate in therapies that can talk the language of the body. So words are the language of the logical forebrain. I'm talking now to your logical brain. And sensations are the language of the body. You can't talk the body out of a physical symptom. So we use new and, and different body psychotherapies that primarily focus on the body, but it also includes working on a holistic level because you can't treat the mind without the body and you can't treat the body without the mind. So therapies like hypnotherapy, where you work with the subconscious mind and you can work with, on, on a body level, EMDR and EMI, eye movement integration, where you work with eye movements that helps with different aspects of um, trauma memories that's stuck in the brain and in the body. BWRT, Brain Working Recursive Therapy, we also change memories in the brain and in the limbic system. And then somatic experiencing, that's a whole therapeutic modality that mainly focuses on how to change um, trauma in the body. And TRE, Tension and Trauma Releasing Exercises, that's released via tremor response to release tension and trauma from the body. And all these therapies work uh, with the subconscious mind and the functions of body sensations and the reactions. Yeah. Before we started recording the podcast, you said there's not enough time to explain all of these therapies, but you could explain somatic experiencing and then TRE. Yes. Firstly, SE or somatic experiencing. Could you tell us what it is? If you look at the word somatic it refers to the body. So somatic experiencing is a psychotherapeutic model that works with the experiences and the responses 
of a tense and traumatized body. Somatic experiencing has been developed by Dr. Peter Levine, who stated that trauma exists in the nervous system and the body and not in the traumatic event. He developed tools to help a traumatized person to become aware of body sensations and subconscious body memories. Being frightened means that you live in a body that's always on guard. Angry people live in angry bodies. The bodies of child abuse victims are tense and defensive until they find a way to relax and feel safe. So somatic experiencing uses physical self-awareness in releasing stored trauma of the past. According to uh, somatic experiencing, trauma victims cannot recover until they become familiar with and befriend the sensations in their bodies. We also um, get in contact with normal biological trauma reactions. And as in animals, teach a person how to complete the fight-flight-freeze response if that's stuck in the body and how to discharge excess survival energy from the body and target underlying dysregulation in the nervous system that can cause or maintain symptoms. Um, importantly, again, somatic experiencing is not only with working with the body reactions and sensations, it also focuses on how the body influences thoughts, emotions and behaviours. And SE at the end integrates and connects all these different aspects of trauma and thus follows a holistic approach. To which conditions can SE be applied? Well, so far, somatic experiencing has proven successfully in the treatment of trauma among adult and child survivors of natural disasters for populations living in areas under chronic traumatic stress like terror, violence and war and in the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. It also works very well with your physical traumas like accidents and falls, armed robberies, medical traumas like operations and traumatic birth experience, reduction of aches and pains because you work more directly with the body, talking the language of the body. But it also works with emotional traumas um, like emotional abuse because remember for every emotion there's a physical reaction as well. In practical terms, how does SE work? The model somatic experiencing first works with the sensations of the body. So we prepare and build somatic resources for the client. So in the body, to feel safe in the body. We are trained in guiding clients to track their physical sensations, feelings, thoughts and images related to traumatic memories. Um, so we become like a body detective. And it's amazing if we start doing this work that there's, there's no insignificant movement or reaction in the body. Everything has a meaning, if you know how to, to look for that. So somatic experiencing can help the traumatized body in a safe way to replay and re-experience a traumatic event. So we literally go through a traumatic event step by step, very slowly, and then track and follow all the time what's happening in the body. So the SE therapist reads body language of the client and let the body do, do the work or the talking. So it works with the physical symptoms, sensations and motor patterns in the present time. In a very safe manner, somatic experience help complete any incomplete fight or flight reactions um, with the help of certain tools and then allows the discharge of the excess stuck energy from the body and nervous system. So there's certain signs that tells us this energy is being released. Can be a deep sigh, can be a, a, a light tremor response, um, a change of temperature. And in this way, we resolve the trauma and the trauma symptoms. 
And we teach the client how to regulate the autonomic nervous system, the limbic motor and arousal systems again, and returning the body back to equilibrium. What are the advantages of SE? Well, you can address and process trauma on a body level that is otherwise not possible by using traditional talk therapies. First, working with the body responses of trauma, part of the trauma is dealt with on a non-verbal level. So it makes it so much easier for a person to deal with the emotional part of the trauma and to talk about the trauma story afterwards. Um, it reduces symptoms of post-traumatic stress and release tension and chronic stress from the body. It reduces muscle tension and that way also muscle pain. It creates calmness and less anxiety. People are less tired and increase their energy because all these stuck energy is now being released from the body. It takes also energy to keep the energy there. Um, it helps with sleep difficulties and the improvement of medical, medical conditions. As I already said, not, that's not the primary goal, but we can help to relieve um, certain medical symptoms. Um, and increases the ability to be fully present in the year and now because you're not stuck. Your nervous system is not stuck in the past anymore. So people focus better, concentrate better and cope better with stress. And it's also a way of expression of emotions in a very safe way via the body. That's quite a lot. And now we're coming to TRE or tension and trauma releasing exercises. Could you tell us what TRE is? Well, TRE is basically a body-based uh, technique that was developed by Dr. David Bashani. He observed that animals in the wild and small children tend to tremor after a threatening experience and they realized it is a natural self-healing reaction to re release these stored tension from the body. He believes that all living organisms, including the human body, have the natural ability to process and recover from trauma by shaking off the excess trauma energy of the fight-flight-freeze response. So even though it's part of our genetic natural responses, humans tend to suppress this uh, due to social pressure and development of the logical brain. So Basali then developed the stretching, uh, stretching exercises to activate automatically a tremor response to release the previously stored tension and trauma in the body. The tremors are a natural reflex reaction of the body, so it's very easy to activate it if you know how. Um, TRE is based on the same theoretical principles of somatic experiencing, namely um, how the body responds to a fight-fight-freeze response on trauma and chronic stress and how that response is going to get stuck in the body. TRE and the tremors help the body to complete a fight-fight-freeze response and help the muscles to release the excess energetic charge and tension that's held in the muscles. It balances your stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol. They, they even measured before and after the TRE session, they measured the cortisol levels and could see the change there. Um, so it helps to bring the body back to a relaxed and balanced state. So in this way, it releases via the tremors, tension and trauma from the body. It's not a therapeutic model. It's only a tool that enhances the effects of other body-based therapies and can be easily integrated with psychotherapeutic models. It's also a tool to manage your own stress levels because you can practice it at home. So it helps us a lot. You can do a lot of the work on your, on, on your own time. But with a history of severe medical Physical or emotional traumas, it is safer to work with a certified professional trained in TRE. Because it's easy to release the tension, that's a good feeling, but when you release trauma from the body, it becomes more complicated.
Yeah, so it would be good to have someone who is with you and yes. who knows. Or strength in, in trauma, yes. And if it's such a natural response but we cut it off at some stage, then how do much, most people experience DRE? Well, most people feel um, relaxed afterwards um, and experience the huge relief. But they find it very interesting and also surprised in the beginning that their bodies can tremor spontaneously. They're usually a little bit skeptical in the beginning and not really they, they, their body is going to do this tremor response and then it happens mm. automatically mm. because it's controlled by the primitive brain as well. It's an automatic um, reflex. People can also feel maybe tired after the release and working of the muscles because it's like running in one place. Previously, the body wanted to run and couldn't. And now it's like with the strong tremor response, running in one place. Um, some people can also experience emotions and memories of past traumas. But with guided sessions by a professional, it happens in a safe and regulated way. I now realize I forgot to ask you how TRE works. Well, a person is guided through a specific series of seven stretching exercises, very easy stretching exercises. A child of five, six years can do it up to... Um, I've seen elderly people around 80 plus that has done this. So the stretching exercises, um, starting at the feet, then the legs, and lastly the pelvic and core muscles. Um, the first few exercises happen while you're in a standing position. The last one happens while you are lying in a comfortable position on the floor. Tremors usually begin in the upper thighs and then over time reaching every part of the body that needs to release. Remember, every person is unique and has different memories of trauma stored in the body and muscles. So the intensity and patterns of tremors can vary from person to person and from session to session. You can't predict the journey of the tremors through the body, but in the long term, we want full body tremors. The whole body needs to release. Some people who not only release tension, but also severe trauma, may experience emotional responses that were also frozen in the subconscious mind. It can become overwhelming, and then the whole process needs to be slowed down or guided by a professional. Yeah, so you're talking about sessions. Would a session then be as an individual, or would it be a group session? We can use it in both um, ways. When there's severe trauma, I would definitely recommend, or a history of severe trauma, recommend better do it in individual, um, individual way. Individual sessions are part of my practice as part of integration of a psychotherapeutic process. So we'll first do evaluation of their medical and psychological background um, before we decide if TRE is applicable and how to integrate it with other psychotherapeutic modalities. I do groups usually more as a once-off demonstration, but there are other people who use it often in a group setting. Um, I also do training in a group setting to become a TRE practitioner the full training includes two modules um, of three days each and supervision sessions, but somebody can also attend only module one for their own personal experience of DRE. And does one have to practice DRE on an ongoing basis? Yes, we can compare the body with a pressure cooker. I can't release all your past stress trauma in one session. We need to release a little bit, little bit at a time, um, like the safety valve of the pressure cooker. When all the past tension and traumas are released, and that will again differ from person to person depending on what's stored in the body. But when everything is released from the past, then you can use TRE only to cope with daily stresses or as needed if there's a new trauma happened. 
But at that stage, usually a, a person can spontaneously start tremoring and release that tension of that uh, trauma because you don't need the stretching exercise anymore. Your body had learned how to release this in an instinctive way, so how it was supposed to be from the beginning. That sounds like a very good way to do it. So you release the stresses as they occur. Yes, yeah. yes. You will not store them again, stress or trauma on your body. Yeah. Can you give us a practical example of SE and TRE? Um, maybe I can use a, a case study of mine. It was a, a woman who was referred for depression, uh, post-shoulder pain, after four years of unsuccessfully treated um, the shoulder pain by various medical doctors and physiotherapists. I first got a full background history, and then we built a physical sense of safety by breathing, grounding, and relaxation exercises. We started teaching her TRE, um, so she started to use that at home as well and do it on her own time. So her body starts learning how to release tension and trauma from her body and start balancing a little bit more her neurological nervous systems. So um, then I also taught her to find and connect to a safe and pain-free place in the body. It's very important to find a safe place in the body and how to track the sensations in her body. So that's all part of somatic experiencing. Uh, we then sort of like slowly start to access and process different traumas in her life uh, using some of other modalities. While we were using EMI, eye movement integration, we work with eye movements to focus on a specific trauma story of being raped repeatedly while her hands were tied to the airport of her bed. I was tracking her sensations, feelings and behavior. She was very scared and in freeze response because her perpetrator threatened to kill her if she would tell anybody about the rape. By re-experiencing the rape with her body step by step, the pain sensation in her shoulder became very intense. She became very angry during the session and her body wanted to fight with him, but obviously she was now <clears throat> helpless due to being tied up. So this is what we call the incomplete fight response that was stuck in her arms and her shoulders because she wanted to fight with her arms and shoulders and she can't. So I helped her to safely complete the fight response that stuck in her shoulders and arms by pushing him away from her and then hitting him. And this is all now where we use pillows, um, for example, to hit the pillow, um, but we do it in a certain way to express that stuck energy in her shoulders and her arms. And also help her to verbally express her anger and feelings. After which, she started to tremor very strongly in her shoulder and arms. Due to the TRE that we already done, her body could easily release this um, stuck energy in her body. So she tremored for a, a very long time, about an hour. And I just sat with her and helped her body to integrate this whole process. And afterwards, the pain in the shoulder was much lighter. And two weeks later, she reported back that the pain in her shoulder had completely disappeared. The pain never came back again, and that was about five years ago. So hopefully this gives you some understanding of how we integrate um, different modalities here and how the SE and TRE works. Yes, I think it's a very good illustration of everything that you have explained through the podcast, of, of this energy that gets mm -hmm. trapped and, and the incompleted action and how you worked with that. Thank you. Where can people get more information about your work? You can go to my website, www.helienloopser.co.za. There are also links to the different therapies that I mentioned. 
Yes, and I will link that address to this podcast. And Helene, do you work online? Yes, but some of the body psychotherapies, um, it's better to work face-to-face. It's important for the effectivity of the therapy, um, for the therapist to closely observe the body reactions of the client. And the presence of another person's nervous system, in this case the therapist, helps to regulate the nervous system of the client. So mirroring of neurons also happens easier during a face-to-face session than online. So although it's not ideal to work online, it is still possible with body psychotherapies. And now we come to your three best tips on travelling. Yes, I love travelling. Um, always carry water and something warm with you. There's two things that keep the body safe. Learn a few basic words and eat some typical food of the local culture. We need to experience a new place, not only see it. And then the last tip, keep yourself open for new learning experiences and never forget that the inner journey is the most important journey of your life. Thank you. Now we come to your fun question. Ilian, to me it's clear that you are fascinated by the human brain. And now if we go to the realm of the imagination, if our skulls were see-through, would that make your work easier or more difficult? (laughs) That's an interesting question. Um, I think if you understand, well, it's still difficult to see it. Well, I think both. In some ways it will make it easier, in some ways maybe more difficult. Yeah, I thought it might distract one if you <laughs> if you saw the inner workings all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, but it can also can help you to track what's happening in the body mm-hmm. um, with the work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So it can help in that way, but as you say, then there's a lot to focus on. Um, so I think both, yeah, one side easier and the other side maybe more difficult. Yeah. Thank you, Hilly, and thanks for unpacking this subject, which is quite unusual for me to, to realize how everything works together. Uh, Thank you very much for the opportunity as well. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website mariettesneyman.co.za for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneyman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.